Consider the following, and some of the results you will hardly believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Turn Alchemist podcast. My name is Lydia. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. So excited that you're here. And also to all the people who are coming back and listening in again, welcome back. So excited that you are taking time out of your day to listen to today's episode. This podcast is essentially what I deem my verbal journal. I used to be a public school teacher, and then I left, and now I am brewing kombucha commercially. And so this whole podcast is me talking about about all the journey on how to brew and what I've messed up on and what I'm learning. But my eventual goal is to open what I'm calling an inclusive tap room in my direct community in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's where I'm located at. I used to teach adults with disabilities in a transition program where we would learn about vocational skills and independent living skills. And what I'd like to do is open a tap room that would employ and train adults with disabilities and really just bridge that gap and lower the percentage of adults with disabilities who are not employed. So that's my eventual goal. And I'm just excited that you are joining me on this episode, on this journey, and I can't wait to share what's going on currently right now. So I'm just going to jump right on in. Today I am sipping on a little, I don't know, a little experiment, I should say. I feel like everyone here on the podcast, you all get first glimpse of some new flavor ideas that I am trying. And really, a lot of them might fail, but I think it's just fun to talk about. And so today, I am actually trying a new flavor combo with some shrubs. And I've let this one marinate for a little while, and I just started sipping it. It is a juniper and blackberry blend. And to be real, I didn't even know that junipers made gin. (laughs) And so when I said, oh, junipers, I smelled it, it just had that almost like sprucey type of smell if that makes sense and I felt like pairing it with something like a blackberry would make a really nice seasonal winter shrub flavor and so I tried it and to be honest I feel like it's tasting a little bit more like a gin but people might appreciate that and so I'm really excited about this flavor the only downside is is that I feel like I can't get blackberries in bulk right now, like at all. Obviously, they're not in season in the Midwest, but when I go to the grocery store, I usually buy a lot of my shrub fruits frozen, just that's how I do it, but I haven't been able to find like a bulk bag of blackberries, and so if I were to make this type of shrub, I would have to get the little cartons, if you know what I'm talking about, of little blackberries. And I don't know if that's going to be super cost effective. So if I did this in real life and were to go and sell these, I don't think that I would make a huge batch because I don't know how much return I would get. And that's so hard to say, by the way. I feel like I don't, I mean, okay, what am I trying to say here? I just, I feel like it's just so hard to create new shrub flavors sometimes because really at the end of the day, I still have to make a profit so that I can make more flavors and more shrubs and more kombucha. But sometimes these flavors are just really expensive to make. And so that's just a whole nother component when you're in this business. So anyways, I'm super excited about it. I think it tastes bomb and it's also really beautiful. It's almost like a dark purple. And I feel like in the middle of January, especially here in the Midwest where it's wintry, I feel like people would really appreciate this flavor. So we'll see if this one actually comes and makes it to the market. But in the meantime, you guys got to see a little glimpse inside of my brain. And I have a lot of other things on the back burner right now, aka Valentine's Day stuff, pink drinks. (laughs) So I'll just leave it at that. I'll share about that in a future podcast. But 
I have some exciting things to share about before I jump into today's main topic, which is all things finding a commercial kitchen. But before I jump in, I am so pumped to share that, well, if you're listening like in real time, it's just about Christmas time here. And so this past weekend, we had our holiday market. And if you've been, dang it, I did it again. You guys, I do this every single time. If you're new here, you're like, what's your business? Where are you? I told you where I was at. But my business is called Living Full Kombucha. And we've been participating in a farmer's market every single Saturday since May. But this is really my first year in business. I officially started selling in February of 2021. So that's earlier this year. This last weekend's market happened to be the last market of the entire year. And I didn't know what to expect, but we were in a different venue. We happened to be in this really beautiful hotel and ballroom in downtown Kenosha called the Stella Hotel. Wow, it was amazing. I've never been there before, but it was really, really beautiful. And since it is a holiday event, I was like, all right, this could be like really big. Honestly, the last couple of months have really slowed down for sales. I mean, it's to be expected. We had the summertime. It was fantastic. I learned so much. But people are gravitating towards especially a cold drink in the summertime. And so when we transitioned into an indoor location, people have to know where you're at. They have to want your product and have to go there during certain hours. And so that's been really a big learning curve for me. Maybe that just deserved its own other podcast episode if I ever get around to it. Sorry, I know I haven't been really producing as many podcasts lately. But this is something that I was excited about because I thought, all right, the holidays might bring out more people because they want to shop and buy gifts. And so I brought everything. We brought two full, full coolers of kombucha. And luckily, we were really close enough to our brewery that if we were to run out, my husband could run back and go get it. I say him. I could have done it myself, but. And then in addition to the kombucha, we brought a crap ton of shrubs. And we also decided to do what we deemed a shrub gift box, which in the last episode about the beautiful messy middle, I shared about how on my birthday of all times, I was trying to get licensure to get the shrubs to be shelf stable, meaning that I wouldn't have to have them refrigerated all the time. Great news is I got it. I'm so excited to share that we now have licensure to deem our shrubs as shelf stable. And so that means basically I can mail these things and I don't have to put them in the fridge. And oh my goodness, there's so many positive things that happen because of this. But that all goes to say that I could put the shrubs, because they're not refrigerated, into a little gift box. And I basically made a little cocktail gift set. So I included a stainless steel uh, spoon. I put in a little shot glass. And my husband, who is a woodshop teacher, and he has all these different equipment pieces at his school, he was able to laser engrave them. So it said living full kombucha on the shot glass. And then I printed out some recipe cards on how to use the shrubs. And then I got some really pretty green box mailers that we could package it up all in very nicely. It was a really cool, awesome learning experience for me too on just like how to package these best. But by the time of this market, they look freaking bomb, you guys. I was so excited. And I got some like really pretty kind of like holiday setup for the table. And we had an amazing location at this uh, event. When I say location, like inside of this ballroom, we were on the corner. So we got basically two facing sides. So when people were passing us on one side, they could pass us on another side. So double exposure key. Oh my goodness. That was so nice that we got that spot. 
We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, but we started off our day and boy, the community came out. Oh my goodness, it was so encouraging. And we quickly found out that we were gonna run out of supply. Within two hours, we ran out of all of our kombucha. And I've shared with you in the past, I try to bring 40 bottles of each flavor. And I had a fourth flavor now because my hip elderberry is now at the market. So I, what's the math on that? What's 40 times four? Whatever that is, that's how much we had. We ran out of it. And I looked at my husband, Sean. I was like, we're gonna need more. And he's like, I'm going. But we had a line consistently for several hours and so for one person to do it was really difficult and so my husband literally ran back to the brewery which is about two blocks over from this ballroom bringing back different cases of kombucha and we just kept pumping it out I had a really great deal going for the holidays in addition to the shrub boxes which people were buying so cool this was again something of like a test for me I only bought 25 boxes to see if people would even want to but people were buying more than one at a time and we weren't expecting that so it was just super cool but I had a really good deal on the kombucha where you buy a four pack and the next four pack you get half off so a lot of people are like oh I can get myself a four pack and then my friend can get another four pack which was totally the the idea I had but then I didn't realize I'm gonna run out of four pack holders I just didn't know the demand we were gonna have and yes like I said I ran out of four pack holders and Sean had to run back again later in the day because it was in a full day event nine to three and get more kombucha but just like the full circle retrospect looking back on like the entire summer leading up to now I would run out of kombucha in the summertime and we would be out and people would come up and I couldn't supply them and now I'm just so proud of myself honestly for being at this point where I can supply Sean would go back he'd bring it back and I could keep supplying people with kombucha and with shrubs so That's all to say it was our biggest sales day of the year. It was one of my favorite days of the year. It was ridiculously encouraging. We had more new people coming up to our table, asking us questions, passing out business cards, but we also had so many returning customers. They were bringing back their bottles. They were saying hello. They were buying kombucha for themselves and their family members and their friends. And it was just almost like a support team that I didn't realize that I had. And it was just so amazing. You guys are great. And if you're listening and you are around the Kenosha area and you're a customer of mine, thank you so much. I'm like almost bringing myself to tears because it was such an incredible day. And like little cherries on top because that same day, Public, which is the brewery that I share space out of, put bougie my lemon lavender kombucha on tap huh? like in their tap room next to their beers as their na option like is this real life seriously it was just an amazing day and all right i'm gonna be done let's move on but you guys rock i really want to spend majority of today's episode going over all things commercial kitchens and it's been such a neat opportunity with this podcast because i've been introduced to so many of you listeners especially people who are wanting to get into this commercial kombucha brewing world and often i get asked the same questions over and over revolving around finding a commercial kitchen space and how to make the space work for you and things like that so i thought i would dedicate an episode to all things commercial kitchen so i'm going to focus on several things one being how do i even approach a business or find a commercial kitchen space in my area Two, I'm going to talk about some of the budgeting and maybe what I had to think about before I jumped into finding a commercial kitchen that worked for me. Three, 
setup. Basically, how to envision your equipment that is at home now in a kitchen. And then for some tips and things that I wish I knew that I just wanted to share with you that are just kind of miscellaneous, but it really helped me. And I always want to say this before I jump into this huge topic. This is a verbal journal, okay? And so these are things that have worked for me and that have not worked for me. And if anything, this is a come with me type of podcast. I am definitely not the pro telling you to do each of these things. This is more of a helpful guide and you can take or leave anything that I say. You all know, actually, maybe you don't know, I moved into my first commercial kitchen space a year ago today. Literally today is the day I moved into my commercial kitchen space. I wasn't brewing to sell quite yet. I was just figuring out everything. And I know that you might be in a very similar space right now. And so I hope you take what I share as advice. And I'm excited to connect with you and maybe hear some things that worked. And listen to some of the things that didn't work for me. And maybe you can correct that and make your process of moving into a commercial kitchen that much smoother. All right, so let's jump in. How to find a commercial kitchen space. So there's a couple factors to consider before jumping into this. One, are you going to be sharing a commercial kitchen space or do you want to buy your kitchen outright? I'm going to be sharing, like I said, from my own experiences and for what I'm going to talk about next, budgeting, what made the most sense was finding a space that I could share with someone else. You can absolutely go down the route of buying your own commercial kitchen space. However, you're going to look at a lot more costs. And at the point that I was at, I know I could not fit that type of bill and you're going to be liable for any damages that happen, insurance, obviously rent or leasing some type of property. So for today's episode, I'm going to be sticking with sharing a space, but there are other brewers that have gone down the route of buying something outright. I just don't know enough to share about that on today's episode. But I will say if you're in a similar space as me when I was trying to find my own commercial kitchen space, I just didn't know what I was getting into, I would highly suggest sharing first before buying. But again, just another thing that I'm sharing and you can take it or leave it. And so when I realized that kombucha couldn't be made from home and it had to have all these licenses and monitoring and inspections, I had to go on the hunt for a kitchen space. And I just thought to myself, where in the world do I find this stuff? I don't even know where to look as a frame of reference. But you know me, as a trusty old reference point, I always start with Google. So I legit typed in commercial kitchens near me. And what popped up was pretty interesting because I didn't realize that there are commercial kitchens that are dedicated towards helping food creators. So neat. As I mentioned, I'm in the Midwest, I'm in Wisconsin, and what popped up immediately for me was something called a FEED kitchen, and FEED is actually all capitalized, and it's an acronym that stands for Food, Enterprise, and Economic Development, and this was located in Madison, and this basically is a commercial kitchen that has a large, large space that is open to food creators, or for me, beverage creators, to come in and use the space and sell their products as you grow super awesome. I'm just like, yeah, let's go. Sign me up. Well, there are two things that didn't work for me. One, location. Two, budget. I'm going to focus on the location for right now. One, this is in Madison. So Madison for me is about an hour and a half drive. I did also see some other commercial kitchens that were pulled up, but they were in Chicago or Detroit or Milwaukee. When I say Detroit, I meant to say Milwaukee. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, for frame of reference, it's far away. I live in a little, little town of 2,000 people. There is a Dairy Queen. There are no stoplights. If I'm going to be working as intensely on my product and building and it's just me, I need to be ridiculously close to this place. And so a feed kitchen, although it sounds absolutely amazing, there were no feed kitchens by me, nor were there really any kitchens like that of that kind near me. So I really had to think about a different game plan. I've mentioned before that I follow a bunch of business pages online on Facebook and things like that. And I would highly recommend if you haven't just joining something, even like I know I'm a part of the Kombucha Professionals Facebook page and that's been really cool, but it's just been really awesome because you can ask questions or you can search for questions within these groups. And I specifically looked for commercial kitchen sharing space suggestions. And I found some really unique answers that I wanted to share with you. And again, these are just things that I saw on Google and Facebook. So it's it's there if you're looking for it. But some suggestions that some brewers or really just food creators in general were sharing is to look for places like bakeries or a place like a church. So for example, a bakery, and this is kind of going into what are some hours that you want to work. And this is a whole nother thing you'd have to consider as you're moving into a commercial kitchen space. When you're sharing a space, you're going to have to work around different people's hours. That's pretty obvious, right? And so for example, a bakery has very early morning hours. However, most of the time they close around that 3 p.m. time or 4 p.m. time. And that kitchen is available at night. And so thinking about maybe approaching a bakery, you might be able to come in there later in the day and work. So you'd have to be flexible, but a bakery could work. The other option was a church. Most churches are open on Sundays. They have carry-ins or even something on a Saturday. But throughout the week, their kitchen might be available for you to use. So that was another option. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. So that in itself got my gears kind of turning. And I thought about my direct area. Again, I live in a pretty kind of rural area, but I'm close-ish to some places that might have some larger restaurants or things like that. I began to make a list of all the different restaurants, bakeries, and churches in the area. And while I was looking at that, some other things popped up that I thought, oh, that's a really great idea too. One being catering services. Think about it. They only have to do certain events, but then I'm sure there's lots of different pockets of time in which their kitchen isn't being utilized. Haha. So again, I'm just starting to think and I just started to make a big list on my computer of all the different restaurants, bakeries, churches, and now catering services in my area. And I realized, man, this next thing that I have to do is going to be probably one of the most difficult. And that was approaching all of these businesses. As a home brewer, I really didn't know the type of space that I was going to need or the budget I was going to have to revolve around. And so before I contacted these places, I had to think about some of these factors that I just wanted to bring up with you. Because when I called these people, they are not expecting for someone to call them asking for someone to brew kombucha in their business. And so you have to be extremely convincing as to why you would fit in with them and be able to help them financially. So something that I wanted to kind of roll into as we're still talking about the location and finding is your budget. And this is point number two that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, we know that at this point, if you are home brewing kombucha, you technically are not allowed to sell it until you are brewing 100% at your commercial kitchen. So 
to think about a budget is extremely difficult because essentially you're going to have to come up with some money in advance before you can start making sales. And that was one of the hardest things for me to have to figure out is because I had to take some of my personal money in order to fund rent, but I'll get there in a minute. So thinking about budget, I look back at how much some of these like feed kitchens were costing. And I apologize because I'm bouncing everywhere because there's so many different factors. If you were to look up in your area and you found a feed kitchen, for example, right in your direct area, right down the street, you're going to see that feed kitchens cost money. It's not something you can just come into and use. They have usually an hourly rate. You would have to figure out how much time you're going to use in the kitchen and work alongside other food creators sharing that space and pay hourly. So for example, the feed kitchen in Madison was charging, now this is at the time, I didn't look back again today because I don't want to, but it was like $30 an hour or something like that. And you have to take into account, this is not just you brewing, for example, or bottling. This is also you cleaning and everything else. And if it's just you, it's going to take you double as long to do all these tasks. And so that rate of, you know, $25, $30 an hour is going to rack up extremely fast. And we all know when you're learning something, it's going to take a little bit longer. So you really have to think about, oh my goodness, how much is my time worth, literally? And so I was looking at, based off of what I thought I was going to spend time in the kitchen, like roughly 20 to 25 hours a week, I was looking at close to almost $2,000 a month. And that was completely not doable for me and my budget. Now, if you're curious about my budget more specifically and how much I spent on every single thing, I do have an episode that I dedicated completely towards what are my costs. So if you want to look back at that, that is episode number 14, if you want to go check that out. But to just get all back to that and tie that in a little bit of a bow, I looked at the rates at which they were charging at the feed kitchen and how much time I would need in a kitchen and then came up with my own ballpark budget of how to approach someone in a business like a bakery, like I've mentioned as an example, on how much I could pay per month. So for me and my personal budget, and again, this is all coming from money that was in my personal account and I left my teaching job a little too early, so it really wasn't a lot of money in the bank if you get what I mean, I could afford $500 a month. Okay, and just to be 100% transparent here, really I couldn't super afford $500 a month, but if you are coming to a business and you want to approach them about sharing space and their hours and their keys and their life, basically investing into your business, you're gonna have to think of some type of number that's gonna be appealing to them. So at first I was thinking, oh, I can afford $200, $300 a month. With all the water and electricity that you're gonna be using in their business and basically all of their time, you're gonna need to come up with more money than that. So 500 is, I feel like, the very bare minimum. And you're just gonna have to try to find somebody who is extremely flexible and understands your passion and your goals. So with that being said, I had an idea of how much money I was going to approach a business about, and I started calling all these businesses. Now, really quick, before you start calling all these businesses, I'm assuming that at this point, you already need to have certain licenses, which I've gone into in past episodes. And if you're listening internationally, this of course might be a little different, pertinent to your area, but in the United States, at least even in Wisconsin, I had to have my EIN tax number, I had to have my business tax, my seller's permit, I had to show proof of whether I'm a sole proprietor or an LLC. 
And then in addition, you do need to have your insurance solidified. Now, of course, since you don't have a commercial kitchen that you know of yet that will take you, you can't list them on your insurance quite yet. But when you approach someone about you know, using their space, you will already have to have your own insurance coverage with your business account. So not your personal, your business. So with all those documents, I started going down the list and calling people. And okay, I feel like I'm pretty good at like talking to people. I enjoy it. But calling someone up and knowing that I might be rejected is one of the hardest things. And honestly, it was pretty, uh, I almost want to say numbing, but it basically was so difficult for me to get started. I remember the first couple of days when I was starting to call all of these people on my list and I was, ah, that's the word, paralyzed. Ha, I just didn't want to start. And my husband was like, you can do this. Like, you're going to get some no's. Like, expect knows and that's so hard because I don't like to say this but it's true I take criticism pretty hard and so something like rejection for example I take as something extremely personal to me but really if I'm cold calling a business and they say no it has nothing to do with me as a person it's just where they are in their business and I really had to keep that at the forefront and I wanted to share that with you today because if you're going out there and you're trying this out first off cheers to you you are awesome you are rocking it like this is a huge thing for you to take this big leap this big step and contact so many people and share your heart basically and your passion and be told no that's really difficult and so just knowing that you're in that right headspace before you call people it is a big deal so as I started going through some places I came up with a little spiel that I thought I could share with you and maybe you could use some bits and pieces and I think it's important that you have exactly what you want to say or as we call it at least I think in America is that where it came up with the elevator pitch where you would share with people in a minute what your business is about and what you need So I prep myself for two types of elevator pitches. One, the voicemail. Two, when someone answers the phone and they have no idea why you're calling them at this time. (laughs) So my voicemail, let's see if I can do this off the cuff. But basically I was like, hi, my name is Lydia with Living Full Kombucha. I own a kombucha business in Kenosha County. I'm looking for someone to share commercial kitchen space and I did not know if you would entertain the area... See, I totally messed up. I didn't know if you would entertain having me in to potentially talk about potentially sharing some space. I said potentially way too many times, but you can kind of get my gist. Here is my phone number and here is my email. I'm looking forward to talking with you. So that was the voicemail. Now, if someone answers the phone, there's a couple of different things that can happen. One, I realized really quick that I need to look at the business and their hours before calling them. I think that it is kind of rude to call someone asking such a large request and really a demand of listening right in the middle of someone's busiest work time. So if I'm calling a restaurant and it's during the lunch hour, I'm not gonna get as much of their time and their space. I like to call a couple hours before they open and sometimes they answer the phone or I can leave that golden voicemail, right? Um, So something like calling at the right time is good. But if I talk to someone, they're like, hi, who are you? What are you looking for? You know, I would explain a little bit more and oftentimes I would get what the hell is kombucha? Not what the hell, but you get me. Um, And just explaining what is kombucha. Oh, it's a fermented tea and it needs its own area to sit and ferment. I would love to have you try it out sometime and meet with you. And, you know, for the most part, whenever I did mostly get voicemails, I will say that. But for the several people that I talked to, I did get generally nice people. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, okay. Thank you for sharing so much. Like they were super polite. I don't think anyone was blatantly rude. I only had one guy that was like, no, I don't have space. And it was just quick. And I think he was busy, but 
that was a total no. But again, for the most part, I got most people sharing, you know, this is not going to work out for us at this time, or maybe leave your information here for later, or even we don't have the type of space for your fermenters. And that's a whole nother thing I'm going to get into in a second is knowing the type of space that you're going to need. Because when you're able to talk with someone and they're like, what do you need? You need to be prepared with what, what do you actually need? And it's so hard kind of not really knowing because you've never done this before. <laughs> So I'm going to share my fun, embarrassing story of my first yes. I brought up earlier about calling a place like a catering service. And I had on my list a country club and catering service right down the street from me about 10 minutes away. It's like, oh, that'd be super cool. So I called them. They're like, you know what? Can you call us back later? We're pretty busy. I'm like, all right. So I made a note to call them back. I called them again. Same thing. I called them a third time. They're like, all right, thanks for being persistent. Let's get you in with the owner. And the owner was like, sure, I'd love to meet with you. That was his tone. Sure. And by that time, I had already talked to probably 15 to 25 different places that said no. Just letting you know, you're going to get that. You're going to get the no's. But you got to go through the no's to get a yes. Or in my case, sure, why not? Come on in. And at that point when he said that, I was like, really? Oh my God, yes. And I want to be like, ah! Okay, sorry, I pulled away from the microphone. <laughs> I just got so excited. And so when I went in to talk with him, this is what happened. I wore like my best teacher clothes because I felt like, mm, got to look professional, right? So I did that. And then also I just kind of thought about, and I would recommend if you have the time, I printed up a little summary of who I am, my contact information, and um, basically what my goal as a business was, like opening an inclusive tap room and here's what I would like. And I listed bullet points of an ideal scenario space. And if you're interested, I don't mind sharing that with you. If you want to reach out to me, my email is livingfullkombucha at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram at livingfullkombucha. I can easily send this to you of what I used, but I kind of shared some bullet points, which I'll share at in a little bit later on down this podcast. And so I handed that to him. I had all my licenses in my little binder and he looked over it and he just kind of was quiet. And I was like, oh man, is this good? Is this bad? And for the record, he had like a really easygoing type of mentality. It was just like, all right, welcome. Let's hang out kind of vibe. And I really appreciate that because I did feel comfortable talking to him. But then he started to ask me some pretty tricky questions. He was like, um, do you have your food safe manager's license? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? What is that? <laughs> and at first I said yes for the record. And that that's just something I would always recommend saying, if you don't know, you don't know. So I had to go back and say, you know, I actually don't know what that is. So uh, he asked me about a food safe manager's license, which I did not have. He also asked me if I had a retail license. Then he asked me what type of space I needed. And I kind of talked about it on my page but he wanted to walk through the space with me and have me explain what I need. So I really had to kind of hone in my fermenter elevator pitch really quickly. And then of course, because this is a business and this is a transaction essentially, he wanted to know how much money that I could bring in and when I would pay him and different things like that. So just being really confident in my answers, this is how much I can afford. This is my background and really just being myself. I told him about my teaching background and how I just totally went for it. And I'm brewing kombucha from my house and I want to move in and start selling this and trying out this concept of brewing commercially. And he really appreciated that. His name is Chad. 
I don't think Chad will ever listen to this podcast, but I cannot say enough great things about him. He looked at me from across the table and he just said, for you to have the balls to go for it and to go through all the government BS, I'll just say that, um, and try to employ someone in the future is someone I can totally applaud and get behind. And I really want to work with you if you can tell me what you need. So already I just had a really great start with him. I did bring some kombucha for him to try and he has never heard of kombucha in his entire life and he did not want to try it in front of me. He's like, my wife might try it. I'll take it home. (laughs) But he wasn't interested in the product. He was actually more interested in me and my mission. And so if anything, any advice from this whole day is to just really be yourself as you're approaching any new type of commercial kitchen space, you're going to be working with so many different types of people and to just be yourself and know why you are there is so important. So with that being said, I shared with him who I was. We went to the space and he told me he would like to draft up a lease agreement. Now, I didn't really even consider this when I was starting off and thinking about what I need to have to approach to someone, but I realized very quickly how important this was. And I cannot stress enough to you as you are looking for a commercial kitchen space that you need to have some type of a lease agreement, a contract, something that you both sit down, you look at the terms and you sign. He even went as far as he paid his own attorney. Like I could have had to pay for this, but he footed this because again, I think he just realized that I was just starting off, but he had his attorney look over the lease agreement and we basically signed together terms in which we both would agree so no matter where you go I can't stress this enough come up with a written lease agreement and if again if you'd like to see my written lease agreement and something that we came up with I would be happy to share with you so just again reach out to me and I can give that to you so let's get back to the other two licenses really quick he did share that before I come into his kitchen and start working that he would like for me to have my food safe manager's license which in the United States a lot of people who are in any type of commercial kitchen space needs to have some type of a license to handle food correctly because they've been trained on different food temperatures holding temperatures and things like that so I did go ahead and do that it was like almost $200 but it lasts me for five years and I have that certificate and that's gone with me to other jobs which has been really helpful and in addition I was able to get my retail license which I'm glad that I didn't get that in advance because really it's year to year and so I couldn't start selling my kombucha until I actually made it in his space. So to be able to get the retail license when he told me about it was super helpful. Hopefully that made sense, but I was in. So now we've gone over looking for a commercial kitchen space, how to go about approaching someone, kind of talking about the budget a little bit with the rent. And now I want to focus on the setup and kind of knowing what type of things to look for in a space. And I'm going to share again a royal mess up that I did (laughs) because I think this will really help you envision a space that will be ideal for you and your brewing scenario. So going back to moving into this space, I was just so excited that someone said yes. And I was excited also because Chad was such a nice person and that he was super accommodating. But looking at the actual space in which he was giving me, Really, I should have looked at it a little bit more closely because there was a lot of red flags that I didn't know existed until afterwards because I was just so excited. As we were walking through the kitchen, I saw, oh, okay, cool. I will boil tea on the stove over there. I'm going to prep right there. But what I didn't really take into consideration was my designated space, how much space specifically I would need for fermenters. 
at this place, I would just say it was really large. And so just the sheer vastness of it, I just thought, oh, because it's so big, I'm going to fit here. But really what you need to be looking for specifically for something as temperamental as fermenters is a designated area that will keep away from everybody and be temperature controlled for ferments. And I emphasize temperature controlled because that's where I royally biffed. <laughs> So he walked me down in the basement and it was a huge storage area. And he was like, what do you think? Do you think this would work? And again, he's going off of my cue. He doesn't know what kombucha is. He doesn't know my needs. I have to know what my needs are. And so I was looking around at all of this space. I'm like, wow, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, this is great. And when I moved in, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? It's freezing down here. And this table isn't level and it won't really hold liquid very well. And I started to panic. So at first I was like, oh, hey, uh, do you mind turning up the heat? Because I know your building is closed during the winter, which by the way, this is a country club. So we made a lease agreement that I could stay with him from December until June. And then I would have to move and go somewhere else. Hey, it was something. I jumped in. I was excited. I figured by that time I can find another kitchen, right? So I went ahead and moved in. I said, hey, can you turn up the heat while I'm here? And he says, oh, there is no heat. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. <laughs> there is no heat in the basement where I was planning to set up my fermenters. <laughs> like, seriously? Luckily, there was a little bit of heat in the main room, but because it was such an old building, the heat didn't circulate in the kitchen very well either. Oh my gosh, like what did I just get myself into? So to peel back a little bit from my horror story... <laughs> It'll get better, I promise. Just getting back to your setup and what you're going to need, think about what type of space those fermenters are going to be in. What is the best temperature? Is there a temperature control? Ask those questions to the person that you're walking through. Is there temperature control in my area? Is this going to be away from other people? Things like that. Things I wish I would have done. But at this point, it was a little bit too late. I obviously already paid my first month's rent because we were moving in and I needed to figure out a way to fix this. Luckily... And I say, luckily, I'm just freaking blessed to have the spouse that I do. But my husband, Sean, is very oriented towards thinking through some of these things and how to fix stuff. And so he came over and first he was just like, why the heck did you say yes to this place? But that's all behind us now. And he was like, all right, well, we got to make this place work. So we're going to have to essentially move all of your fermenters upstairs. And the kitchen, although had a great stove area and had a great prep area, it had uh, not really a lot of space for fermenters and we had to get really creative. And he looked inside of the pantry area and he said, you know what, this is gonna have to work. This pantry is so small. And if you go back to my Instagram, you will see pictures of where I started. So you're more than welcome to go back and look. But it was the only place that could house my brews. And we also thought that it would be temperature control, but we also saw that the pantry was right next to the door and the door happened to be broken and not all the way broken like it still worked, but at the bottom, there was still a large draft coming in. Thank you to the Midwest winter. It was freezing air coming in. And so we had to patch up the door and we ended up just for long story short, I'm just telling you all these crazy things. We ended up putting like a plastic sheet up that would hold in heat and I'm sorry if you're a kitchen inspector because this is totally illegal I put in heaters inside of my pantry space that I would have to physically remove anytime someone were to come in and use the pantry because again a pantry is really meant for chefs and anyone who's using the kitchen on a day-to-day -day basis to come in and cook <laughs> and they were cooking like once a week and so I had to have that out of there and oh what a mess what a mess but hey you had to start somewhere and I'm still really proud the other huge factor 
for you to think about is you will be transporting liquid. And at this point, as a home brewer, when you're just dealing with a gallon or two, you can easily carry that from counter to counter and it's not very heavy. But as you're trying to meet the demand and try to scale and try to make larger batches, that liquid becomes a lot heavier, right? And I started off with, you know, a one or two gallon jar at my house and now I've graduated to seven gallon fermenters. And so I had to really think about my process of brewing in the space. And so I would recommend that for you. When you walk through a kitchen, think about, okay, when I am done brewing this tea, how am I going to carry this tea over to my fermenter? Because I'm assuming at this point, because you're in that middle awkward phase that I'm totally in still right now too, that you don't have uh, something pumping your liquid for you or hoses or butterfly valves quite yet. And so how do you move hot tea or water to your fermenter? And so that was another reason why I had to move all of my fermenters upstairs in addition to not having temperature control. It was downstairs in the basement. So if you can imagine me and I'm like 110 pounds trying to go up and down the stairs with very large things of water and hot tea, it is not smart. You, uh it's just not smart at all, okay? Obviously, there's something that's bound to happen or spill. I had to think about how I was going to transport liquid. So think about your space in that regard. Okay, so you have potentially, maybe you're in a feed kitchen and maybe you have your own designated space and your time, but where are your fermenters? Is it around where other people can bump into? Is it somewhere down the hall where you're gonna have to lug it? Do you need to get a cart and put your fermenter or your pot on top of it and roll it? Think about some creative ideas on how you can move liquid back and forth. That was something I really should have thought about before moving in. So once you think about your process, the next big thing is to think about all the equipment to help you do your brewing. Now, something that I didn't realize, and there are some kitchens that are accommodating, but for the most part, if you move into someone else's kitchen space, or if you're in one of these food enterprise and economic development kitchens, they will require you to bring all of your equipment. If you were a home brewer like me, you used all of your equipment at home that you would basically cook with later on for your own stuff. But now that you're moving into a separate space, you have to get your own separate pots and pans. Well, you don't really need pans, but you get what I mean. Spoons, towels, things like that you need to be able to bring over to the kitchen. Some other things that I didn't really consider, you know, like scissors or trash bags. Oftentimes they won't have trash service, so you have to bring your own trash bags. And then in addition to that, you're going to need some type of way to sanitize. Now that you're in a commercial kitchen space, you need to abide by sanitation rules. Getting a sanitizer or having detergents that are approved by your inspector is key. And also gloves. Those mother effers are so expensive. <laughs> you know, you don't just want to get those one-time use disposable gloves. You want to get the ones that are like the medical gloves because you're going to be cutting a lot of stuff and brewing a lot of stuff. And when you have to wear gloves throughout most of it, oh my goodness, the ones that I get that fit my hands just right are like 10 cents a piece. Oh, that adds up. So although it feels like I'm bouncing around, I'm trying to make this as fluid as possible, your equipment has to go now into your budgeting, okay? So if you're still, am I thinking about a commercial kitchen and trying to get in the right space? Think about all the different equipment that you will have to bring in addition to potentially your first month's rent ready to go and do you have that ready? And I share that from a place of learning myself because I didn't. I had to buy my pots and my, my towels and things like that and just have everything ready and I didn't realize. So just think about that and your cost as you're moving into this new phase of brewing. 
I hope you guys are doing great. I know this is a lot of information, but hopefully this has been extremely helpful for you um, or potentially has just gotten you to think about different things as you think about transitioning into your own commercial kitchen space. It was just such a great experience. I got to say, although I had a lot of hiccups, I wouldn't say that it was a total mess up. You know, it was all learning experience. You got to give yourself grace in the season because you are doing something basically every day that is brand new. When you scale up to a new T ratio, my goodness, so brand new. And if you ace that on the first try, I commend you because I definitely did not. Having to move your starter SCOBY into a kitchen, that was a hot mess express in itself. Oh my goodness, there's so many different things that you will encounter, you know, uniquely as your own that you might consider a mess up, but please give yourself grace as you move into this next season because you're on this path for a reason and hopefully you just feel confident and excited to go in every day regardless of what that day holds. And especially at the beginning, it is a little messy, right? Like I said, I am so fortunate to have experienced my first commercial kitchen and trying to figure it out. So by the time that June came around and I needed to find another space, I was very much more prepared to move into another location. And so when I went cold calling places again, I was a lot better at my elevator speech. I know exactly what I needed for temperature control. I know how much room I needed for my fermenters. And so when I moved into my now brewing space at this brewery in downtown Kenosha, I felt a lot more confident and things have gone a lot smoother. And although I'm still learning every single day, that will never stop. I'm really proud about where I've come from. And I hope that you can say the same thing about yourself. Phew. Okay. So before I leave you today, I know this was a mega episode. I just wanted to share a couple of like weird miscellaneous tips uh, to conclude this episode of just what I wish I learned in a commercial kitchen that really didn't fit into my budgeting setup, blah, blah, blah stuff. And I just thought, let's just share them rapid fire. Number one, color coding all of your stuff. Now I'm not saying get a cutting board that's yellow and a pot that is yellow, that'd be weird. No, what I mean is have a very clear labeling system for all of your things. Remember, if you're in a shared commercial kitchen space, you are sharing the space. And so when you're in there within all this equipment, some people might think that your cutting board is their cutting board and they might use it. Now you might not have an issue with that, but because I just don't want cross-contamination and because kombucha is just so fragile, I basically use yellow tape on every single thing of mine so that anything that had yellow tape on it, people did not use. And obviously I didn't use any of their equipment as well. Two, get to know everyone that you are working alongside. Even if they are in there later after you usually leave, stick around and get to know them. Have them get to know your product and your mission and who you are because really they're working around your space. And if they know you and respect you at that level, it just makes things go so much better. And in addition, please get to know your custodians. Oh my goodness, the custodians are so valuable and someone that can really help you in a pinch. If you make a lot of messes, which you probably will, they might have some equipment that can help you clean it up a little bit faster. In addition, maybe you forget your keys one day. <clears throat> That's me. They're able to let you in because they're there at some weird hours. Get to know them and get their phone numbers too so that you can ask them questions just in case anything were to go wrong while you were there by yourself. I got to work side 
an amazing custodian team at the country club. They even came up with a little nickname. They thought that kombucha was super alcoholic and they called me moonshine. They always thought that I was filling up bottles of alcohol and selling it as non-alcoholic. So it was just a little, little funny thing, but I adored them. They were wonderful. They were super helpful. And yes, I locked myself out a couple of times. So they had to come and let me in and they were just so kind and just showing them kindness in return, leaving them free bottles upon free bottles. That's just something I got in the habit of doing because they were just phenomenal. Number three, get a wet and a dry towel bag. Like I mentioned before, there was a lot of equipment that I didn't know that I was supposed to have and one of those was towels, but towels have to be cleaned all the time. And I'm assuming that you probably don't wanna foot the bill on laundering services, so you're gonna have to take care of that on your own. So what I did is I got a black bag that was for my dirty, wet towels, and then I got a dry bag for any clean towels to go into, and they were a different color. So whenever I came in, I would have a place to put my dirty towels. Um, it's not expected that you use their cleaning products like you have to bring your own sanitizer spray towels things like that and I went ahead and I invested in some heavy duty bleach because I got some really good towels um, that were specifically made for kitchen spaces Number four, I kind of alluded to this a little bit already, but being willing to share your kombucha with everybody who is directly working with you at the kitchen and just being open to doing that. I know this is really one of the hardest times to share your kombucha because at this point you're only making just enough and you want to be able to sell that. I totally get that. But to be able to share with those around you is just another way of saying that you respect them and their space. And if you do have the time, this is number five, is to just help them clean up the space. Be willing to to be flexible with your timing. Be able to say, hey, like I would love to stick around and do your dishes. There were several days where I came in and the kitchen was open the night before and they just weren't able to do all the dishes. So before I started going, I went ahead and threw all their dishes into the dishwasher. I put them away. I got to know everybody's names and where things were in the kitchen. Even though that really wasn't my job, it was respectful of the space and uh, people appreciated me that much more and it was just something nice to do. Well, you guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I would absolutely love to connect with you. As I shared before, my email is livingfullkombucha at gmail.com. I would love to hear if you are moving into a commercial kitchen space or if this episode helped you in any way or made you think about some different things. But really, I would just love to connect with you and get to meet you if possible. But until next time, be well and cheers. Cheers.